crime in me. I've diagnosed some people. I think it's been pretty accurate. Definitely done my fair share of psychiatry work. I've prescribed a few pills, you know. Crime in me. We are in no way responsible for the things that come out of our mouths. We are not experts, although we may claim to be, so don't take anything that we say too literally. We are not laughing at the crimes, we are laughing at each, each other! other. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Criminy. We're your hosts, Matt and Ange, and we're going to tell you some horrible stories. Well, at least mine's pretty horrible. What about yours? Yeah, I would say uh, horrible. <laughs> 99.9% of what we say is horrible. Yeah, I feel like it just reflects like my attitude. <laughs> it's like the darker it is, the worse of a week I've had. <laughs> oh, God. It's been oh, a bad week. Yeah. I mean, not. I mean, it doesn't always reflect. It's been a busy week, so we'll see how yeah. good this comes out. I don't even, I don't even know. Yep, I agree. I kind of last minute had to write mine so <laughs> but mine is international <gasps> oh Woo! my god mine too <gasps> no way <laughs> no way okay well mine takes place in russia what about yours oh mine takes Not place russia. in australia oh okay <laughs> okay oh my god how do we always do this it's so bizarre how this always happens <laughs> Let's see how even more similar it could be. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I got my information from Medusa.io, BBC, RFERL, Daily Mail, uh, New York Times, History, Net, and Today.rtl. You pulled a me and got all the I sources. I did. I got a bunch. I got like, I get like a sentence from like a, like a source. And then there were like other sources mm -hmm. that were like the exact same except for like one little piece of oh, information. Yeah. So it's like you have to like yep. piece it together and also to try and make it longer because I think it's going to be pretty short. But <laughs> okay. whatever. And uh, international disclaimer, I do not speak Russian. I can't even imagine what? how you would pronounce like... <laughs> half these names so stick with me i will do the best i can sorry if i offend anyone it's like the french thing russian is like what i just well, that one even has different letters that we're not yeah used to seeing. i think so i've heard that's... that russian is like the hardest language to learn i don't know how accurate it is but it seems like it'd be pretty hard it looks pretty challenging looks very challenging okay Oleg Sokolov, he's a 63-year-old man. He's rescued mm -hmm. drunk from the Moika River in St. Petersburg early on Saturday. As if, I mean, as as in he, like, fell in the river drunk? Yeah, like, he had, was like, drunk and in the river, out. and they're like, we gotta get this guy out of the river. So, he had a backpack in his arms. What, what time of year was this? I know this is, like, very... Very ignorant, but I just yeah. imagine it's always cold in Russia. I do, too. No, I do, too. I think it's, like, always cold there. I do, too. Uh, so, okay, so he has this backpack, and in the backpack are a woman's arms. Uh-oh, that's not okay. <laughs> what the fuck? So, 
A recording from CCTV cameras show a man walking along St. Petersburg's Moika embankment. When he reaches like the full edge, he swings several bags over the edge and throws them into the river. And they also found in his backpack a stun pistol, which I'm guessing is like a stun gun. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about Oleg Sokolov. Wait, wait. So he had... He was throwing bags over, yeah. like, into the river yeah. of body parts, presumably. Presumably, and then, like, yeah. And then he, like, fell held in with onto the backpack. the backpack a little bit too, he, <laughs> too long. <yeah>. And... <laughs> Toppled in oh, after okay. it. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> so he was an assistant professor at St. Petersburg State University, which is, okay. like, a really prestigious job. At his home in St. Petersburg, police found the rest of a woman's decapitated body, <gasps> a shotgun, a sawed-off shotgun, knives, an axe, and ammunition. He told police that the task of dismembering a body made him physically ill, so he drank heavily uh, yeah. to keep himself at it. He- what? That's why he's so drunk. And then they think that he may have... like, he didn't didn't expect it to be (laughs) disgusting and, like, horrible and scarring and traumatizing. Yeah, I guess he didn't think it through. So he may have jumped into the river, which it's shallow enough to stand in. So they think that maybe, like, he threw the backpack in and it didn't sink. So maybe he, like, jumped in after it to, like, either retrieve it or to, like, push it under. Or he may... ankle deep water. Right. Or he may have been so (laughs) drunk that he, like, fell in after it accidentally. That sounds more possible. Right. They're not quite sure what happened. He was treated in the hospital for hypothermia after they pulled him out of the icy water. So it is cold. And he was, like, put into police custody. So who was this body and arms that they found? <laughs> yeah. They belonged to 24-year-old Anastasia Yashchenko. 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 She moved from a town in southern Russia to study history at St. Petersburg State University And they, like, found a notebook of hers, and the first page of the notebook said, in pink writing, I am a talented historian. My articles are in demand and recognized by the academic community. And there's nothing else written in the notebook. So she was, like, trying to Mm. manifest, like, Mm. success and just... And she was a student of his? Presumably. Like I said, she's 24, and he's 63. Yucky. Yashchenko was a postgraduate student at the time of her death. She was described as quiet, 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 sweet. (laughs) I am like stumbling over my words. I'm like so exhausted. I can't even speak right now. Okay. I'm just like blurring all my words into one. So this goes faster. So she was quiet, sweet, and always the ideal student. Her mother is a police lieutenant colonel. And her father is a school PE teacher. And then she had a brother who once played as goalkeeper for the national junior football team. When Sokolov was, he was in police custody and then they took him into court and he's like crying in court so loudly that at one point the judge (laughs) had to like adjourn the proceedings because he's like, dude, you like, we can't hear anything. You're crying so loud. And then he like hovering over their talking. Yeah. And he said, I repent. So through tears, 
he said, I saw a girl who was the ideal of beauty for me. Her nose with a hump is my fetish. Which she has like, Ew, what? she had a decent. Her nose with a hump? Yeah. Like, there's not, maybe it's just a bad translation. That just doesn't sound very romantic. Well, he's not. I mean, he chopped up a woman. I don't think that he's well, like, okay, yeah, the romance romantic is not his ideal. Goal, but like, <laughs> I love a nose with a hump. He liked a nose with a hump. That was his thing. She, okay. He said, she looked like a Spanish princess to me, but turned into a monster. <gasps> which he says is the reason why he killed her because she turned into a monster he AKA she probably just rejected him well he alleged that anastasia had attacked him with a knife and then he had to shoot her it was self-defense ah just unprovoked attack knife knife attack yeah he well no they had an argument i'll i'll get into that he okay. said that after she tried to attack him with a knife he shot her four times with a sawed off shotgun then <sighs> he chopped up her body with a saw and kitchen knife and then he said that he planned to get rid of the body before publicly taking his own life dressed as napoleon <laughs> what the hell is happening <laughs> he is obsessed with napoleon obsessed that is a random to the point where he like thinks that he's napoleon yes he literally has napoleon complex he literally does napoleon yes he literally (laughs) does which is like you know napoleon you know his story why would you want to be him of all the people why him no you just you're a bad person and you like bad people So he said that she attacked him because she was jealous of his children from a previous marriage. And he was going to have to, he was like going to go visit them. And she was like jealous. So then she was like going to attack him because she didn't want him to like visit his children or something. She was just jealous of how successful he was at having children. Yeah. And so he said, I decided to scare her. In a small room, I had a sawn off shotgun gun which i found back in the 1990s i decided to shoot and scare her with the shot which i decided to scare her by shooting her if you're threatening someone with a gun i feel like you are an abusive person i just don't think that you i just don't think that's normal if if you have the gun you have the upper hand there's no need to be like shooting to scare just show her the gun and be well, like also you should stop being jealous of my children what no don't even bring the gun out what are you talking oh, right. about right well now of course of course <laughs> Jeez, now you make me sound like i'm giving advice to criminals. yeah you are you're like waving guns you're like okay it's fine to wave the gun around it's fine but to shooting wave it the is gun. like just... too far you've gone too far no they're like arguing about the children and so then he also said to stop this flow of vile insults at his children presumably obscene words and offenses wishes to my children to die it was horrible it was monstrous she grinned like a witch he claimed which how are you gonna grin like a witch but whatever then she said i mean he said she rushed at me with a knife my hand just automatically moved and i shot towards her after this i do not remember anything he next remembered standing by the river into which he threw her body part okay so he's like this girl's jealous of me and my family. I'm yeah. going to scare her yeah. to show her that she should leave me and my family alone Right. by shooting her. That'll teach her, oh, she's coming at me with a knife. I'm mm-hmm. going to shoot her and kill her, and now yeah. I'm going to chop her up. Okay. Yeah, well, she's saying horrible things about his children. He had to shoot her because he can't Got stand you. for that. Her parents all think this is not accurate. 
which I think it's not either. Sounds pretty convenient. (laughs) Yeah. Some students at the university where he was an assistant professor described him as eccentric and a woman student said that she had complained to the police about his behavior previously, but they didn't do anything. Uh-oh. A St. Petersburg local counselor and former student of his said that he also raised concerns about Mr. Sokolov's previous behavior, but the university didn't do anything either. So no one's doing anything. They're all like, this dude's like hella weird. And they're like, well, whatever. He's an assistant professor. We can't do anything about it. So He's got 10 years. Sorry, we can't do anything. Yeah. So he's like... This, like, woman said, you know, he's been, like, fucking weird, and this dude said he's been weird. He was accused of violence against male students. When a student asked him during a public lecture about plagiarism claims by a rival Napoleon expert, the historian ordered all the burly young men in the classroom to drag the guy who was questioning him from the lecture hall, and then the student said that he was beaten, and he complained to the university, which didn't do anything. Wow. Yeah. Then they also, other students said that he enjoyed speaking French and did impressions Ugh. of Napoleon. And <laughs> he. What a fucking loser. He called Anastasia Josephine, which was the name of Napoleon's wife. And he asked what? to be addressed as sire. Ew. Gross. Gross. So it was well known that Anastasia and Sokolov were in a relationship at, like, at the university, they would, like, flaunt it around, apparently, like, everyone knew, but he was married to someone else. Hmm. And friends say that she was really smart, she was a top student, and she also shared his passion for Napoleonic history. Oh, weird. That is, that, <laughs> that is a niche interest. <laughs> yeah, so he thought that he was Napoleon reincarnated. Oh, well, that's never good. Mm, Being no. anyone reincarnated is not... Well, especially Napoleon. Like, especially Napoleon. Yeah, ew. Ew. No. (laughs) So Anastasia moved out of student dorms and into Sokolov's apartment, which was right by the river. They had been together for three years, which means she was 21 when they got together and he was 60. You know how I feel about that. And when she decided to move in with him, her mother tried to talk her out of it. But she said that Anastasia was firm. And she like Anastasia thought that from then on, they like they'd always be together and it'd be like a great relationship. And they had like similar interests. And she just thought, of course, that's what she would think. Yeah, of course. But it's like. Man, the power dynamic in that, he's her professor or a professor, and she's, like, a young student. Yeah. He's already established and has a wife and kids. Well, and she's a postgraduate when she's 20, like, in her early 20s. So, you know, she's probably been pretty sheltered, right? She just, like, went all the way through. Probably been going to school and stuff. Yeah. So then this guy's, like, super taken advantage. Right. Because she doesn't have, like, real life experience. I'm... I'm thinking she probably doesn't have, like, a lot of real-life experience outside of, like, school. Right, because if she's a postgraduate, that means that she's been, like, studying in in school, unless their system is different there. I I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Well, still super young, though. I don't know. I don't know. So she helped him prepare his lectures and graded his students' work for him. They were both experts on French history, uh, and she co-authored some works with him. Wow. 
They also both enjoyed wearing period costumes, and he would dress up as Napoleon. Yeah, Yeah. damn it, I knew it. And they would participate in historical reenactments, and he would like throw balls, like period balls, (laughs) and they'd like dress up and. You know, for but, her, wait, I'm sure it's, like, lots so of fun. Like They're, like, dressing up and, like, having balls. and. But what's happening with his wife? How is this happening? I don't happening know. In... I don't know. I don't know if his wife, like, lives She's... somewhere else and he's, like, oh, I have it's to live like, here part-time. Oh, okay, honey, I'm going out to yeah. the ball. You're not invited. By the way, my Napoleon wife is going to be there. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe it's, like, when school's in session, I have to, like, live near the university, so I'm going to live in town and, like, you can live outside of town. Maybe or like know. maybe or maybe he just like separates work from home and is like, oh, I have this work event I have to go to. You're not invited. Could also be that he's like a kind of a dick. So his wife's like, yeah, fuck off. I don't want you to be home at all. I'm not interested in what you're doing. Dick. Yeah, she's probably like, uh, yeah, you can go play Napoleon with your friends. I'm going to stay here like a regular person. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so actually, uh, he was in the river November 8th, the morning of November 8th. So okay, so fucking cold. cold. Fucking cold. Yeah. I'm surprised the river, like, wasn't frozen over if it's, like, that shallow and it's Russia. I don't know. I just, <laughs> I just picture him, like, falling into the ice and... Yeah, yeah like, but, slushy. But I don't Trying know. Trying to push down a backpack with arms in it. Oh, my God. So Anastasia's brother said that during the night of November 7th, 2019, she called him in tears and said that Sokolov had beaten her because a friend invited her to a birthday party and he was, like, super jealous. So I feel like well, that's the more friend, likely. Like, wrote, the, the friend wrote the invitation and was like, you can come, but no Napoleons allowed. No, like, weird, gross dudes, please. <laughs> <laughs> Only like younger, cool people. Thanks. Not that so all older people are gross, but really, yeah. So, uh, she, she said she told her brother that she was planning on spending the night in a student hostel to like get away from him because of their uh-huh. fight, and yeah. he beat her. So at one forty nine a.m., the two spoke again, and Anastasia told her brother that she was fine, and that was the last that anyone had heard from her. Uh-oh. Yeah. So sometime that morning after 1.49, Oleg had shot Anastasia with the sawed-off shotgun. And because he shot four times, he definitely reloaded the weapon several times. Because it's a shotgun. Holy so I'm shit. pretty sure you get, like, a one-shot deal. Was right? he using, like, a Napoleon gun? It was, like, an antique gun. Where you had to, like, pour the gunpowder I don't in know like... how antique it was. <laughs> I don't know. But, like, clearly this Damn. wasn't just, like, you know, a one-time self-defense, I shoot you. This was, like, yeah, shoot, just, like, reload, the trigger. shoot, reload, shoot, reload, shoot. Shit. Yeah. So then he hid her body in the next room and invited guests over the next evening. Oh, after the party, he dismembered her and tried to get rid of her remains. Do you, do you imagine being one of the guests there and finding no. out later that you were a, a guest at a party where there's a dead person? No. No. I hope that I don't Ugh. have any friends that would do something like that. That's disturbing. That's yeah. 
Anastasia's father says that they the family found out about what happened to Anastasia from relatives who called and asked if it was true that she had been murdered after the news <gasps> appeared everywhere online. Oh my so god. So they didn't even get notified by police. What? Yeah. Shit, that's fucked up. They checked and it turned out to be true. Which how horrible to be reading all these stories online and then like try and call her, you can't get a hold of her, like call the police and they're like, Oh yeah, your daughter's dead. She was murdered. Oh yeah, we were meaning to call you, but we got distracted. Yeah. So when Sokolov's apartment is being searched, uh, he attempts to commit suicide by stabbing himself. He approached a cabinet with knives and abruptly pulled out a dagger, but he failed to <sighs> kill himself. What a fucking loser. Oh, if I said commit suicide, I didn't mean to say commit suicide. He attempted to kill himself and he failed. So I know they like take him in. Like, I'm like, I don't understand how police work in Russia, obviously, but I, I'm assuming that they like took him back to the apartment and then he just like walked up to a cabinet where he had a bunch of knives and like tried to kill himself. And they're like, uh, no, dude. Or you don't think that he was just at home when they went to go arrest him or something and then he was like no they they saved him from the water oh, yeah, and right, then he went to the hospital right. for hypothermia and then he was like in police custody that is weird unless they hadn't charged him yet so they he was found with arms of, oh god damn it that's true <laughs> but I, like i said i don't know maybe they were like oh we'll wait till you're out of the hospital to like check your apartment for her the rest of her or i don't know I don't know. Okay. So the lawyer for Anastasia's family is Alexandra Bakshiva. And they explain that the historian targeted young women with brown hair who had a resemblance to Napoleon's wife. So he had a type. (laughs) Then he paid particular attention to them. Well, I mean, that makes sense if he is Napoleon reincarnated. He's looking looking for for Josephine reincarnated. Right. So, yeah. So you gotta have that obviously, hump nose. <laughs> gotta have the hump nose. The hump knows all, and it is part of the uh, magical mystery. Which I'm just Josephine. gonna put this out there. I know a lot of people, you know, getting plastic surgery and stuff, and then like a lot of women are getting these tiny noses. But it's like, love your face like, the way look, it is. People love there everything. Are men out there. There are men out there that love a hump nose. They're, that's their fetish. <laughs> like, that's their thing. Embrace your hump nose. I mean, you they know? do think that they're Napoleon, but uh, <laughs> Not gotta, look past, gotta look past <laughs> these things. <laughs> Some, I mean, we all have our quirks. It's like, fine. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, love the face you're born with because everyone's beautiful in their own way. Okay, so anyway. So clearly he has, like, a pattern, right? He's, like, targeting brunette women with a resemblance to Josephine. He basically like groomed them and tried to establish romantic relationships with them. This happened like several times. He went after young women who like lacked life experience and thought like, oh, like this older man who's interested in similar things that I am is paying attention to me. And I mean, he's a professor, so he's like smart and he's got a job and he's got like goals. Yeah. Well, and when you like when people are passionate about something, that's like really attractive. Yeah. You're like drawn to people who are like really passionate about things that like, sure. really love what they're yeah. into. So he's like super passionate about like French history. And then if you're like a, hist- a historian and like a history student, you're like, wow, this guy's so knowledgeable and like 
so passionate mm-hmm. about like whatever and then you find out that he's fucking crazy and like oh get the hell out <laughs> so he so this happened with several young women who studied under him and they said that it was easy for him to be charming he spoke about his work mm-hmm. as a military historian of france with such passion that it turned into an entire show i mean you know charming he was stately and well-dressed and he was just like a fascinating guy. I'm sure. I mean, he seems pretty interesting if he like thinks that he's fucking Napoleon. <laughs> and then if he took a liking to someone, he would invite them to participate in meetings with historians and historical reenactors inspired by the Napoleonic era. So when you're like when you're learning, he's like a good connection, right? If you're yeah. trying to get into history and like the historians and need like introduce you to the historians. Yeah. But then also it's like, this guy, it seems like he's just playing this fantasy to like a weird extreme. Yeah, he is. He's living in a fantasy world. So a woman by the name of Daria, Daria, explains. such a good show. I know. It's so good. Explains how, or she said that Sokolov once invited her to a picnic with his deputies. Because he's Napoleon. They were riding horses when he suddenly reached over and tried to kiss her quite aggressively, she says. While he's on a horse? Yeah. After this incident, her trust in him as a professor was lost. And she's like, yeah, fuck that guy. Which, yeah. Gross. I'm I'm just trying to imagine someone riding a horse trying to kiss you. Are you on a horse too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're probably okay, on your I horse thought she was too. just like really, really tall. <laughs> <or something. laughs> no, no, no. Okay. So in 2008, his ex girlfriend, another young woman, filed a report against Sokolov for assault. This whole time with his girlfriends and stuff, he's married, right? Yeah, I believe so. Okay. So her name is Ekaterina. Ivanova. Okay. So the incident incident took place in Moscow. Ivanova told Sokolov that she was breaking up with him after she found out that he was married. When she okay. met him to collect her things, he was super calm. And then all of a sudden, he tied up her hands, tied her to a chair, and began to beat her, threatening her with a hot iron. What? She says that he flipped his lid when he put on his Napoleonic uniform. Oh, my God. He's like, hold on. I'm really upset right now. Went and put on his little uniform and came back. And I, was feel like, like, oh, <laughs> I feel like angry. I feel like probably whenever he put on his uniform, then he became Napoleon. And then he had like real right. Napoleon issues. Do you know who I am? So I, I picture him saying that a lot. So like like you said, it sounds like he picks like vulnerable women. So he mm-hmm. immediately sensed her vulnerabilities. And when he was going out with her, he would impose his own tastes, controlled her actions, and limited her circle of friends. Mm. He forced both Ekaterina and Anastasia to dress the way he liked. He convinced mm-hmm. them to stop talking to their friends and to abandon their former hobbies. So just classic controlling behavior. Well, yeah, I mean, Josephine didn't have any of that stuff. So you got to be true to your character and, you know. I'm saying he's like just a classic asshole, abusive, piece of shit, controlling (laughs) douchebag. No excuse. No, there's no excuse. But he puts a little flair to it by dressing like Napoleon. (laughs) 
So he, yeah, he has his own flair, his own special flair to the classic, like, abusive asshole piece of shit. At least if you if you think about type. it, if someone's approaching you dressed as Napoleon, you already kind of know, like, <laughs> you know, big warning sign, like, don't need to deal with that guy. This He's guy probably sucks. a douchebag. <laughs> so at least, like, he has the courtesy of putting up some red flags, like, vis- visually. And <laughs> Well, that's after he, like, charms you, and then you're like, this guy seems really into Napoleon, Napoleon, and then you're like... He's like really, really into Napoleon. And then you're like, this is too much. <laughs> too much Napoleon. He thinks he is Napoleon. Uh-huh. So in both cases, the women's plans to leave him led to an explosion. So like Anastasia told her brother that she was like going to go to the hostel. So maybe her being like, I'm leaving. Then he like calmed things down so he could murder her. And Ekaterina, when she's like, I'm leaving, then he like ties her up and beats the shit out of her. So... Well, he yeah, obviously has leave. issues with people leaving. I mean, he's Napoleon. He controls all. He's like, he's the man. He's controlling it all. So you can't go against him. Yeah. You cannot. He like also... If you, le- if you leave him, it's like, it's complete betrayal. And then... Right. He owns you. You can't leave. Right. Josephine can't leave. This weird fantasy. So he... Remember how he said that Anastasia turned into a monster? Mm-hmm. He also called Ekaterina a monster. So he's like playing out the same shit with like different women. Ah, it's one of those one of those guys or girls that says all of my exes are horrible pieces of shit. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's wrong. I'm the only one that's sane. Yeah, he's like, they're all monsters. Like, huh. It's like, mm-hmm. huh. let's see what the common denominator is. The ex-girlfriend that he like beat the shit out of, she filed a report but a criminal case against him was never pursued so it's like Mm. students are telling police students are telling administrators she has like a legit police case where she's like look i'm like beat the fuck up and nothing is happening to this guy he's just allowed to keep going and the lawyer bakshiva said that if law enforcement agencies had handled the case properly properly in 2008 then it's possible that Anastasia's murder could have been avoided, which agreed. And yeah, I, I mean, I know nothing about Russian laws and what it is, but like, you know, in the United States where there's like a statute of limitations. Right. I don't know what the statute of limitations there. Right. Are because or she what it's like she brought the case in up in 2008, but I believe that it had happened like 11 years before. So yeah. she she felt bad that she didn't say anything like 11 years before. But it's like you can't blame yourself for that. Like you were terrified and and nothing would probably is going to happen anyway, because as I'll get into, Russia doesn't really treat domestic violence as like a serious thing. Uh, hmm. So after he's arrested, he pled guilty. At first, he was going to do like an insanity defense. But then he was going to claim self-defense, and then he ended up pleading guilty. Right. Like, so she was a zombie and kept coming back from the dead, so that's why he had to reload his gun four times and, you know. Right. So he pled guilty to charges of murder and the illegal possession of a weapon. And he said, his, this is what he was, like, ranting from the court cage. So I guess they're in a cage when they go to court. I don't know, but I kind of think that's... He deserves oh, yeah, to be I think in a it's cage. Like a, yeah. He said, I was like a soldier who got lost on the battlefield not knowing what to do. Where it's like, no, dude, you weren't lost. You, you were calling guy. the shots. 
You were like you were scared, and you were abandoned by your troops, and you had to fight this monster that was in your house. Yeah, he was saying shit about your children, which I doubt she even said anything about his children. Yeah. So he. Go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say she probably didn't even know anything about his children if like he's keeping a separate life from his wife and kids. But maybe he fucking knows what they all know. I don't know. He also told the court that Anastasia had a criminal lover now wanted by Interpol who was seeking to kill him to steal his luxury city flat. <laughs> so this dude just sucks. This just so sucks. He's a, so he's a victim. He's always a victim. Mm-hmm. She came out with a knife. She's mm-hmm. dating some like criminal dude who's going to kill yeah. him to steal his luxury apartment yeah it's not his fault he was protecting the honor of his children he's napoleon he's napoleon he told anastasia's mother i do not ask you for forgiveness you can never forgive me which yeah i don't think she could yeah you piece of shit (laughs) so facing up up to 15 years in jail which i don't know why he was only facing up to 15 years for murder uh, and illegal possession of a weapon. Seems like not enough time at all. I don't know what, what Russian laws are. <laughs> Unless he did plead guilty to like self-defense and they were like, fine, we'll take it. I don't know. But anyway, he told his four daughters. He has four daughters and he's treating women like this. It's like, what the fuck? He said, maybe we'll never see each other in this world. I want to say that I love you very, very much. It was insults to you that drove me mad. My beloved Anastasia insulted you. Yes, I am sinful. I am a sinner, but not a maniac. Yeah, you, you know, I had to defend your honor. To nobody. Like, we're in an apartment. We're having an argument. Ugh. It's just excuses. It's like excuses, excuses. Mm Mm-hmm. So there was an online petition circulating that collected more than 20,000 signatures within minutes from Russians who were outraged that Mr. Sokolov had not been held to account earlier for his well-documented history of abuse. The petition demanded that the university authorities be punished for failing to act on earlier complaints against him because there were plenty. Yeah, they should at least get something. Yeah. So when asked about the murder in St. Petersburg, Putin's spokesman, Dmitry Peskov, said that the president had been informed about what he described as this mad case. Peskov said that it looks like insanity, adding that it was now up to investigators to determine whether anyone other than Sokolov was to blame. What? What? How is anyone else to blame? And how is that insanity? He's just like an abusive asshole. What? I mean, are they saying like that they that the school officials should be blamed partially for not doing anything? I don't know. I feel like it's just like a brush off just to be like, oh, well, the authorities are looking into it. That's like the best we can do. Yeah. Or I also feel like it kind of is like backhanded and like, well, maybe Anastasia is to blame. Like maybe she like came at him. Kind of she a is thing. a monster. She said vile things about his children, so he had to shoot her. I don't know. So I wonder what, uh, do you know what her socioeconomic class was? Like, well, you know, like, she was a like university wealthy. student. 
Right. She didn't have the prestige that he did being like an associate or an assistant professor or whatever because she was still like a young student. Right. And from what I know of Russia, women are not held to the same... Women cannot Value. really receive the same accolades right. they're not as valued. a man. Yeah. So I doubt that, you know, I think it was probably just like a... Like the authorities being like... Everyone going to them and being like, hey, this guy is, like, abusive. And them just being like, well, he's a professor, so there's nothing we can do about it. He's like, you Yeah, know. yeah. She, you know, she's just a woman. She probably deserved it. Like, Yeah, or you're just a student. You probably shouldn't have questioned his authority because he's, like, you know, an academic or whatever. Mm. I don't know. So other people, however, blame the law enforcement system that mm-hmm. cracks down hard and swiftly on political opponents of the president but move sluggishly, mm-hmm. if at all, in response to reports of violence against women and other crimes. Oh, yeah, because all they're there for is to protect fucking disgusting Putin. That's right. That's so, it. Elena Popova, a Russian campaigner against domestic violence, said in an angry statement posted on Facebook that Miss Yash- Yashenko would not have been killed if Sokolov had been held responsible for his past abusive behavior. Which I feel like if you're, if you've gotten in trouble for like abusive behavior in the past, especially if it's like domestic violence, I feel like you should have to tell people that before you get in a relationship with them. I feel like that should be like. Well, that's what I was wondering. If they're giving 14 years to someone who murdered someone. Yeah. What would have been the punishment if, had he been charged with assault or whatever? Like. What would have the punishment been if he had said something about Putin that Putin didn't like? It'd be like life oh, he in would prison. Have been yeah. Bullshit. But so, like, oh yeah. But I, I don't necessarily because they're like, oh, if he had been, if the school had been responsive and actually gotten him in trouble with that. Well, it's like if authorities had too, because he has a record of like abusing students. Not only women, but men too. So if the if the school had like fired him. You know, or like gotten involved in some way where they're like, you have limited access to students or limited like interaction with students. I guess I just don't think that it would have deterred him from if he really thinks he's Napoleon. He's just thinking like, oh, you're wrong for charging me for anything because I'm this magical beast. But the school could have fired him. They could have. They could have. They should have. He wouldn't have had access to any of this like young, impressionable people. Right. I feel like that's like, and then if law enforcement had like arrested him for it and he'd gone to prison for it, maybe he wouldn't have gotten another job in a school where he could find vulnerable women. That would be the hope. <laughs> yeah, it would be. Miss Popova said, if an abuser is certain that he can do everything and that they will get him off even for murder, he will go berserk. We must not wait until the victim is killed, but prevent violence. Which, I mean, yeah, that would yeah. be great if that could happen. Yeah, it's all about like education sure the, it, and holding people accountable. So there's if you're just giving people a slap on the wrist. It's like, I don't know. I yeah. don't know. There needs to be better laws for things like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, 15 years is bullshit for murder. And on top of it, like he was abusive. Like he should have uh-huh. gone to jail for like assault way before he even escalated to murder. Yeah. So there was also outrage over reports that Sokolov's lawyer wanted to get his client to plead temporary insanity, which would limit his jail time to just three years. Wow. Which three years is less than the sentence recently handed down against a middle-aged Muscovite convicted of taking part in an illegal protest against Putin. (sighs) 
So someone can get more time for protesting than murdering someone and pleading insanity. Well, I mean, he did dress like Napoleon, so he is kind of Putin-esque, you know, and like, you know what I mean? Like, at least they're both the villains, and he's like, like, oh, this guy is a, he's a, a comrade. He's a... They're both the villains. They're both the villains. <laughs> Russian police officers and judges are often sympathetic to claims by men accused of mm. abuse that they were provoked into violence by their girlfriends or wives. It's never their fault. Because you couldn't just walk away and like yeah. go get some air. You had to No, it's the hysterical You had to scare woman. her by shooting her. <laughs> yeah. Shooting Well, he intended to shoot you know, just shoot the gun in his luxury flat, but I guess he just got in so In her angry. direction. He had to shoot her four times and keep reloading. That's like the whole thing of how like cops used to, when they would go to like a domestic violence situation and like the woman would be like, you know, really upset and the guy would be all calm and just be like, I don't know, man, like she's crazy. And then the cops would be like, yeah, we get it. Women are crazy. Where they had yeah. to completely change their education where it's like, no, that's not accurate at all. Mm -hmm. not saying that men are not also abused in domestic violence situations which they are and not saying like not excluding you know same-sex couples and all that but i'm just saying like it's just like re-educating you have to re-educate police officers to be like the story you're getting isn't the story like you need to like do some research and learn how domestic violence works and we all know that russia doesn't have any gay people because putin's like very proud of how there are no gay people in russia no never nope nope but it's like there needs to be a huge, them all out. <laughs> huge re-education where like women have value. Yeah. And, you know, gay people have value and like we all have the same value. We all matter. Like, mm-hmm. what the fuck? So the murder trial injected new urgency over a debate over punishment for domestic violence in Russia, where some 16.5 million women fall victim every year to abuse from family or partners. Shit. And in 2017, Putin decriminalized some forms of domestic violence. Oh, my God. So most abusers get away with a fine. In 2017, he's like, oh, criminalizing abuse is like, we should decriminalize some of this because we're like incarcerating too many people. Like, what? Fuck you, Putin. A fine? A fine. For abusing someone you're supposed to love? Ugh. So, I mean, we need we have a lot of work to do here in the U.S. And Russia also has a lot more work to do. Like, we're not so far apart in our policies. Mm. There just needs to be, like, a huge overhaul in the world where human Mm -hmm. beings have value and all human beings have the same value. Like, we all matter and we're all important. And you can't hurt someone and just be like, oops. I'll pay money because I, like, hurt someone. Well, she provoked me because she wouldn't wear the not the Napoleon she outfit. She made me mad because she was going to go to a party with friends. So I had to mm-hmm. shoot a gun at her. And I accidentally hit her and reloaded and hit her four times. And then I accidentally cut her up into pieces and threw her into the river. But really, it was, like, so traumatizing because I had to get drunk to do it because, you oh, know, poor yeah. me. It was, like, a lot harder than I thought I'm the it victim. would be. Always. I wish that she wasn't such a bitch and I didn't have to shoot her and cut she her up. She was the I really monster. Do. I thought her <laughs> nose was all I needed and turns out she's yeah. a monster all along. A nose hump does not make a wonderful person always. It's not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> but 
this poor, poor woman, she's like just a super smart educated individual who's like living her dream oh and then this asshole has to ruin her life because he has a thing for like brunettes who are <laughs> impressionable mm-hmm. so what do you think the tossed salad and the scrambled egg the tossed salad a scrambled egg the tossed salad the tossed salad and the scrambled egg a scrambled egg so a tossed salad is someone who clearly knows right from wrong and chooses to do wrong anyway. Right. So the tossed salad has more components. The person is able to com- compartmentalize. And a scrambled egg is someone who can't tell right from wrong and they're just completely scrambled. Just one component, one track mind. They're all kinds of mixed up. There's no focus. They're disorganized. Yeah, he thought he was Napoleon, but I feel like he knew exactly what he was doing. Plus, he had daughters. He has four daughters, and he's still treating women like this. You know, you think it'd give you some perspective, but clearly he's, like, cheating on his wives, so he doesn't respect women anyway, but then, like, how would you feel if someone's doing that shit to your daughter? Yeah, he comes off as, like, loony tunes, but it's all purposeful, and it's all just this fucked up coward of a human who who in the only way that he feels like he matters is to gain control over other people and and be you know well and he's like gaining control over young women who maybe don't have the life experience yet or Mm -hmm. like don't know how to create boundaries and hold to them or are still living under that like fallacy of I have to be polite and this person's older so they know more so I need to like respect them or it's a man so I need to respect him right especially when you're in an environment like like Russia or wherever where that's the expectation that like women are inferior to men and you respect your the older men and especially if they're like scholars yeah you know yeah it's like a very respected position and it's like if the laws reflect that where it's like the laws are telling you that you don't matter that mm-hmm. if someone beats you all they have to do is pay some money to the government like what is that saying? No one's being held yeah. accountable. Why would you report your abuse to police officers who are just going to be like, okay, give me some money and then we'll send you home and now you're going to be even more mad and now you're going to like take it out on her even more because you're not going to be like held accountable for it and you're yeah. out like 500 bucks or whatever. Like, what the fuck? I don't I think, think he's, that he's crazy. I think that, no. I mean, on some That's... level I think he's crazy, but I think that he knew yeah. what he was doing. Especially like the way that he was able to separate his wife and kids life from work and his weird hobbies and stuff and not have them really intermingle and then like be able to be amongst other uh like scholars and communicate with them and they thought he was i mean i'm assuming they thought that he was just like yeah he won like super passionate awards and like he was really respected as like Uh, an expert on like Napoleon and French history of that time. So yeah, he was very respected like internationally even. Right. So then he gets this boost of confidence that he, he matters. But then it's like, it's like he has a well-documented history of abuse and no one intervened. Like all these people are saying, Hey, this guy like fucked me up or fucked me over. And they're just like, well, whatever. 
Yeah, well, you're a woman. What do you expect? It's what you or even you the guy for... who was like beat the fuck up. It's like nope. Well, yeah, you went. You were this young hooligan who went against your professor's wishes. How dare or you whatever. question him and right. accuse him of plagiarizing? That you asked for it. You know, it's that classic. Right. Well, you asked yeah. for it. Where it's like nobody mm-hmm. ever asked to be hurt. No. Uh-huh. Yuck. Ugh. So that's my shitty story. That poor woman. I know. Fuck. No. People suck. And then she's like away at school and her family's probably like, you know, all happy for her and excited for her to like be a scholar. And then her mom's like, hey, I don't know that you should move in with this guy. And she's like, no, it's going to be great. Like we're like perfect for each other. And then, and then he murders her. Yeah. And like you're like, oh, well, you know, she must be doing OK because she's meeting with like all these other scholars. And like you said earlier, like she's mingling with all these people that are like higher up that could potentially like help her out like in her career. Yeah. Getting connections and like yeah i would you know you would be stoked for your kids well, and going she's to getting the experience where she's like co-authoring papers with him and yeah. like you know correcting students work so she's really like getting experience as like a professor if that's where she wanted to go with it or you know experience right. in writing and getting her name out there and then the so fact part of that you she might like, be like a little apprehensive like i don't know this like old dude is yeah paying too much attention to my daughter but at the same time she's getting all this exposure and you know like it might be something that's like raises red flags but is not necessarily at first perceived to be horrible well i think like her mom being a police lieutenant like you know high up in the police department she's probably seen like a lot of domestic violence happen so she was probably like oh this doesn't look good like be careful but like you can't tell your kid to do anything when i was like 23 or 24 or however old like couldn't tell me shit like i knew it all you know right you gotta live your own life Oh, and then I was going to say, like, the fact that she, like, reached out to her brother, because she probably didn't have a lot of friends, because he, like, probably limited her friend exposure. And then the fact that she, like, reaches out to her brother, who, like, hears that she's so upset, and then she calls back later and is like, oh, never mind, it's fine, and then puts him at ease, and then turns out that he was just, like, making it all seem like it was fine, because he was going to murder her. Right, which is... I think kind of common the the calm before the storm where it's like oh which, no everything's great now 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 you can trust me come back come on yeah which shows that it was like planned out like he it wasn't mm-hmm. insanity it wasn't like self defense it wasn't in the no. moment he like oh, no. he was mad at her mad enough to the point that he wanted to kill her and then calmed her down so that she wouldn't leave so he could kill her because I think it's the mindset of if you can't if I can't have you no one can yeah yeah yeah. Icky. Yeah, that and if you don't think I'm so great, then like you don't deserve to live. If you're not going to mm-hmm. live with me and think I'm like wonderful and worship the ground I walk on, then you don't get to live and I get to decide that. So tossed salad. Tossed salad for sure. A Napoleon tossed salad. Napoleon style <laughs> tossed Ew. salad. Gross. Yeah, it's like those it. Russian nesting dolls. It's a nested salad. Mm. It's like a salad tucked in a salad, tucked in a bigger salad, tucked in an even bigger salad. Right, but all the salads are disguised as Napoleon. And they're all gross. Aha. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. The end. Gross. Thank you for telling me that horrible <laughs> I thing. I know, it was awful. It was well, mine's not much better. And it wasn't very well told either. Sorry, it's been a long... <sighs> been a long week <laughs> uh well don't worry because mine's probably not well put together <laughs> good this is a well-rounded episode for criminy this week sweet well we've been busy 
working well, every day. Let's take a moment for our sponsor, Humblebee oh. Herbal. Uh, holidays are coming up, so check out what they've got going on for the holidays this year. Holidays feel different. It doesn't even feel like they're happening. I mean, they're kind of right. not really happening, but treat yourself, treat your loved ones. They've got some good stuff happening. They have these little glass ornaments filled with soaking salts. So mm. you could at least gift yourself, you know, a nice relaxing bath or it's a good stocking stuffer slash decoration. They've got gift boxes, which make gift giving really easy this year. If you got someone who's hard to shop for, then for everyone else, they've got like nice boxes or you can like have them gift wrap your stuff and make a custom box. Anyway. You don't even have to think about it. Just buy a gift box. It comes wrapped. You, they'll even hand write a letter or a note in a cute little card to whoever you're sending it to and it'll show up on their doorstep and you don't even have to go deliver it to them. Yeah. Humblebeeherbal.com. Promo code CRIMINY20 for 20% off your first order at checkout. That's CRIMINY20 at checkout. Humblebeeherbal.com. Check them out. All right. So, I got my information from Aussie Criminals Files, wordpress.com, which was basically the whole transcript from the court, kind of. Those thing. are awesome, so but they're also challenging to read. Some of they're them are a little, little dry. Tedious. This one was a little bit <laughs> okay. better, but uh, yeah. Cool. And then I got some information from the heraldsun.com.au, two articles from that. So I did a U and I kind of That's the best mostly use because one then article. it like is way more cohesive than the story I just told. <laughs> I don't know about that. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, I'm going to start off by telling you a little bit about Rachel Barber. She was born on December 12th, 1983. She lived with her parents and her two younger sisters in Bayswater North, and before that, they lived in Mont Albert. This is all in Australia. Um, right. And when they were in Mont Albert, there was a family that lived across the street that had a similar setup to theirs. There was, you know, a mom and a dad and three girls. So, <laughs> did you just refer to their family as a setup? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yes, there's different family okay. setups. Okay. Okay. <laughs> What would you call it? <laughs> uh, family structure. Structure. Not really structure. Similar family. Setup. <laughs> <laughs> so you know how that is growing up across the street from people with kids. You tend to, you know, you might not be best friends with them, but you're at least acquaintances with them. Friendly. Right, Sometimes right. you play outside, whatever. Sure. So Rachel, Rachel was kind of friends with one of the younger sisters and one of her little sisters was friends with another sister and then the older sister named Caroline was like five or six years older than Rachel and Rachel was the oldest of her sisters so like a little bit older so you know not really gonna hang out wait the oldest was five years older than the next oldest no so Rachel is the oldest of her siblings across the street Oh, oh, okay. The one I'm talking yeah. about. And then yeah. Caroline is the oldest of her siblings, but Caroline right. was like five or six years older than Rachel. So like oh, okay. Not, okay. Sim- not really like same age group, you know? Right. Not so, when you're young. It's like very yeah. different. Yeah. So Caroline, the older one of the other sisters, wa- um, she had babysat the Barber sisters a couple times. Sure. Because, you know, neighbor across yeah. the street, she could babysit her sisters and, and the ones across the street. It wasn't like a all the time thing. I think she babysat them like two or three times. Okay. But anyway, 
So there was that little family and Rachel and her sisters were both very like artistic. Like her sisters were kind of into music. I think they played like violin or something. And Rachel was super into dancing. She was like really, really good at classic ballet. And she, you know, did some theater and just was involved in dance. She was like very gifted in dance, apparently. Like so much so that when the family moved to Bayswater North, Rachel dropped out of regular school and was enrolled in a dance school. Whoa. She was having, she was kind of struggling with schoolwork, but she was super passionate about dance. So her parents were like, you know what? This is her thing. Like, let's just let her, let's just let her blossom in that. Maybe like schoolwork's not her thing, but dance for sure is. Nice. You know, things are normal. One day in 1998, Rachel told her mom that she was talking to Caroline on the phone and that Caroline uh, had told her that she... Her, she knew of this modeling gig that could pay Uh-oh. Rachel money because Rachel, by all accounts, was just like this gorgeous little girl. Like, you know, in, at this point, she's like 14 and mm-hmm. just like super beautiful. Oh, like to back up one of the times that Caroline babysat Rachel and her sisters, uh, Caroline was like, oh, I have a school project. So like I, I have like a photography class, so I'm going to take some pictures. So oh, she took like no. a bunch of pictures of Rachel, like dancing uh-huh. and, you know, whatever. Didn't think anything of it. Uh-huh. Um, so I anyway, like where this is going. <laughs> well, you shouldn't. This is called criminy <laughs> and we tell fucked up things. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> OK. So um, Rachel was like, hey, mom, you know, Caroline has this opportunity for me. I think it could be good. I could make some money. And like, you know, when you're that age and you want to earn some money to buy things that you want. What do you need money for when you're 14? No, Close. stay things, home. Things that you want I to know, buy that your parents no. aren't going to buy you. I Shit, I was a baby. Story. I, I babysat at that age and liked having my own income. <laughs> I understand that, but I don't. I think this is going in a different direction. <laughs> What makes you think that? Oh, no. (laughs) But Rachel's mom was like, "Uh, I don't think so. I think you're too young to be doing this. Um, It just doesn't sound like the best idea. You're 14. You need to chill. Like, you know. So Rachel's like, Rachel's like, okay. Like, she was a very good, by all accounts, good daughter, good child. Like, never really lashed out or anything like was respectful to her parents and everything was good so she respected her mom and kind of dropped the issue yeah and then on march 1st in 1999 rachel's dad drove her to the tram station to catch a train to richmond where she had breakfast with her friend kylie at kylie's house and then the two of them went to school to dance class at 6.15 that evening, her dad drove to the tram station to pick Rachel up, but oh no. she wasn't there. Oh, no. And like I said before, she was always a responsible person yeah. and would always inform her parents if her plans changed or if anything came up. So it was very, very unlikely or un- it was very unlike her to just leave them hanging. Right. Especially because so, she's like 14 or 15. It's like, where are you going to go? You don't have a car. It's not like exactly. you're going around with your friends. Yeah. And her parents obviously began to worry. So they went to the Box Hill police station and reported her missing. 
Her parents said that she was a really shy girl who wouldn't even go on public transportation routes that she was unfamiliar with. Mm-hmm. So they didn't think that she would have gone by herself. No. Willingly. But naturally, police are like, eh, it's a young teenage girl. She just ran off. Like, you gotta... Well, it's the 90s, and it's, yeah, the police are just gonna be like, run away. And... What was that about? It's like, how many runaways are there, actually? It's just... And even if they are runaways, you still want to know where they are to know that they're safe. Like... Yeah. Like, they're still under the age of 18. They're not adults yet. They need to be found and it's like okay maybe they'll come home but what if they can't what if something happens before they come home Mm -hmm. they could still come home and something terrible has happened to them like oh it's okay we're not going back in time i'm it's okay and i mean they also said because she had brought her backpack with her and her parents said that she had packed certain possessions that were like her favorite things that they were like oh that's even more evidence that she left on her own recognizance and she'll probably be home when she feels like it that's so dumb. But her parents were like, "No, this is this is not like her. This is not. Yeah. We know our we know our child. This is not her." But the police were like, "Look, go home. If she's still missing tomorrow, come back and we'll we'll mm. file the report." So no, you know how important it is. Time. Exactly, with like the first few hours of trying to find yeah. a, a missing person are the most important. Yeah. So police obviously fucked up there. And of course, the next morning she wasn't home so they went back to the police station and filed a report so then the police kind of reluctantly go talk to her friends and see if they can find like all right whose house is she staying at because obviously she's a runaway oh my god (laughs) Uh, one student reported that rachel had said that she was going to make a lot of money that evening oh no she told the person that she couldn't talk about it now, but would explain it all tomorrow at school. Hmm. Her boyfriend said that she had showed him a picture of some shoes that had cost around $100 and told him that she was going to buy those shoes in the next few days uh, and that she was off to go do a job that night where she would come a- come upon, quote, a heap of money. Oh, no. And she also told him that she couldn't tell him exactly what she was doing yet, but to not worry because the job was with an old female friend. So like not some scary, you know, man Mm -hmm. in the alley. After school at around 530, Rachel and Kylie and a few classmates walked to the tram stop and they noticed that she got on the tram going in the opposite direction that she normally goes in. How hard would it have been for them to do this work as soon as the parents called. Yeah. How hard is it for them to yeah. like call some Just friends and in. track down yeah. some things? Because these people You're had information. You're getting paid for that. You're getting paid to do that. Yeah. Why can't you do that? Yeah. Ugh. So from there, she kind of vanished. But then, you know, police are looking and this girl named Allison came forward and she had known Rachel. So she knew what Rachel looked like. Like she was an acquaintance of Rachel or like a classmate of Rachel's or something. So she, you know, was a reliable witness. She said that she saw Rachel get off the tram in pra ran with an older girl. Mm -hmm. And Allison helped the police put together a composite computer aided sketch where they're just like, you know, Oh, high tech in the nineties. Pick the nose and pick the eyes and pick the mouth and put it all together. And 
when she was done. I just done, imagine them being like, we have this new technology. Come sit in front of our computer instead of using like a regular sketch artist. And they're like, ooh, look how high tech yeah. it is. It's Pick like some kid noses. Picks. <laughs> kid picks. <laughs> uh, picks is the best. Well, she came up with the sketch, and the sketch looked very, very similar to Caroline Reed Robertson. Shocking. Shocking. What the fuck is Caroline's deal? <laughs> oh, well, let's talk about what the it? fuck is Caroline's deal in a bit. Okay. So when Rachel's parents, Mike and Elizabeth, learned this and, you know, saw the thi- the picture, they kind of felt a tiny bit of relief because they were like, oh, you know, at we least know we know her. we know her. Maybe something yeah. happened where, like, she couldn't inform us that she went to go see her or something yeah. happened. But, like, at least we know who she's with and we know that it's not some scary unknown person that abducted her, you know. No, like, it it's seemed a scary like- known person. Well, uh, and according to, like, you know, the girl who saw Rachel get off the tram with her, she wasn't under duress. She was right. on, you know, walking with her in her own accord. Because she so, thought she's taking her to a job where she's right. going to make money. And then detectives were able to connect Rachel and Caroline through phone records as well. So there were two phone calls from Caroline to Rachel the night before her disappearance. Hmm. And then jumping it, we're going to jump ahead real quick and then we're going to go back in time. Okay. But... So, you know, she disappeared on March 1st, so it's March 12th. The police go to Caroline's apartment, and they knock on the door. There's no answer. They knock more. There's no answer. They call her house phone. No answer. So they call Mm. up the fire brigade, which I love that term (laughs) instead of the fire department. I do, too. It sounds more festive. It does. It sounds fun. (laughs) It sounds like... (laughs) <laughs> They're like running the whole with buckets. Brigades here. Oh yeah, yeah. So the fire brigade uh, helped gain entry into the house. They like found a window that they were able to like pry open, and so they got into the house. One of the guys crawled in, and when he got in there, he saw. Wait, they oh, called the the fire department has like more jurisdiction. Like they can just go into houses. I'm not sure what the probable cause was, but I think that they thought that she was supposed to be there and she wasn't there. And they thought like, okay, well maybe, you know, maybe Rachel's inside and they're not answering. We need to break in. I'm not sure. Does a fire department need probable cause? They're like not police. I don't know. Maybe that's why they called them up. Yeah. That's super interesting. Yeah. Someone like lights a match and like throws it at the building, like, like oh, oh we gotta look, go in. <laughs> it's a fire! Quick, get inside. <laughs> well, once one of the fire brigade men was inside, he saw a woman lying on the ground unconscious. Oh no! Okay. Ar- around her were packets, empty packets of tegretol, which is a drug commonly used to treat epilepsy. Ooh. Yeah, uh, it has been hypothesized that the arrival of the police at her flat induced an epileptic fit because the woman Stress. that was found on the ground was yeah. Caroline. <gasps> oh. So the paramedics come. Yep. Okay. She had an epileptic seizure. Yeah. And so she was like unconscious. So the paramedics come and, you know, take her to the hospital yeah. And meantime, the officers are looking around the apartment for Rachel. Because it's been like 11 days, right? It's been like... Yeah. Okay. They don't find her there, but they did find a bag containing Rachel's clothes. Oh, God. And in that bag 
was an application for a Victorian birth certificate in the name of Rachel Elizabeth Barber. Hmm. She had her birth certificate? What? No, it was an application to get the birth certificate. Like a copy of the birth certificate? Right. Okay. Okay. Uh, A little bit later, Rachel, one of Rachel's sisters remembered that months before the disappearance, Caroline had called and spoken to her and asked what the exact birthdays were of Rachel and her sisters. Mm. Uh, She said it was for a school project or something. No. No. (laughs) So meanwhile, Caroline's at the hospital and she regains consciousness and the detective is like, where's Rachel? And without any provocation, Caroline says that Rachel was dead and that she was buried next to an old pet of hers in her in her dad's farm in Kilmore. Oh, ironic. I know. What the fuck? (laughs) What the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck indeed. So detectives go to David Reed's house, who was Caroline's father, because eventually her parents split up. Oh, oh, Caroline's parents. Yeah, yeah. Her family broke up. The dad moved okay. out. Okay, so the dad apparently owns, like, a couple properties. Like, the apartment that Caroline lived in was owned by her dad. Oh. And then, um, so they go to his farmhouse, and they search the land, and they found the old pet grave that she told them about. Mm-hmm. And right near there was a shallow grave with mm-hmm. Rachel's body. Uh, it was wrapped in rugs. Her body was wrapped in two rugs, and she still had a telephone cord wrapped around her neck. Oh, my God. So, naturally, Caroline was immediately arrested and charged with murder. And she actually pled guilty to the murder. I... During her Supreme Court plea hearing, she sobbed as her barrister, Colin Lovett, read aloud her anguished writings of self-loathing and hatred. Quote, Uh I feel like a troubled and tortured lost soul who has been thrown into a world of angels. She also called herself an alien with horrible things bottled up inside. Hmm. What the fuck is going on, you may ask? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, detectives also wanted to know, but Caroline didn't really tell them much. But Uh luckily, like the person that I covered last week, she journaled. And boy, did she journal. Mm. Uh-huh. I gotta start journaling. <laughs> no! I can never keep it up. Look, no. <laughs> you can't journal because then the police find your journals and then you just basically write yourself right into prison. Uh, yeah, well, I don't have that much exciting going on to journal. I don't know. It's just like something about shitty people journaling. Like they need to chron- chronologically keep their life story straight or they need to write it down or i don't know why they write this shit down maybe they just have to get it off their chests or something maybe it's like a personality type because there are people who journal who aren't shitty people who just like are really good at journaling and there are some of us who just like cannot for whatever reason just like cannot do it i like cannot journal here's my thing i i know how like good it feels to write out sometimes when you're just like really upset just to write yeah i do that sometimes just write yeah i do that Burn the paper. I mean, once again, I'm not telling criminals what to do. That's therapeutic. That is therapeutic. But like, why do you keep that shit around? Are you really going to go back and read your angsty 14-year-old journal about how you hate yourself? Here's what I have to say about that. Because I do sometimes when I'm like really mad and I just like cannot process, I will write. 
Yeah. And then I like I don't burn them, so I'll go back and read them and be like, oh man, I was like mad. But then it's like I only have the angry parts. It's like I don't yeah. write about like the happy parts. Exactly. It's like I need to start writing about the happy parts too <laughs> to balance it out. Or else I'm gonna like look back when I'm like, you know, eighty and be like, God, I was miserable. Why was I always angry? It's yeah, like, every entry all the time. Is, every entry just, like, is just like so angry. <laughs> Yeah. It is really therapeutic, though. It's a good way to, like, process feelings if you're having a hard time. But burn that shit. Okay. Yeah, maybe <laughs> I will. Uh, and, yeah, so she had, like, there were lots of journals. She'd clearly, like, been journaling for years, just keeping track of all her stuff. Mm-hmm. A lot of her journals were writings about you know how she hated herself and self-loathing and how she Mm -hmm. thought that she was just like this disgusting abnormal fat girl who like you know just was a piece of shit and hated life oh no and then there was a lot of the a lot of journals were dedicated to obsessing about rachel oh no and how rachel was basically like this perfect person and she like envied her and she had she had written down things that Rachel liked, things that she didn't like. She even had like observations of Rachel that were clearly, you know, she had like gone across the street and looked in the windows and was like watching the family. What? Yeah. She had profiled Rachel as the perfect girl, a symbol of perfect purity that she could never be. Okay, when like how long had they been moved? Like, not living across the street from each other. Um, I, I think they, mo- they moved just, like, a year or two before she was murdered. Oh, okay. She also wrote about how envious she was of Rachel's perfect family and how, Look, like, all the girls... Look, we both wrote about, like, really weird, obsessive people. I know. Themes. It's so weird. So weird. So she was like envious of of her, of Rachel's seemingly perfect family and like her sister, Mm -hmm. like, you know, all the girls were talented and the parents seemed to be like very loving and very like supportive. And she didn't feel like she had that in her life. What? Wait, what? She is journaling someone else's life. I have some other quotes from her journals. She said, Rachel was always wild, let run barefoot in the country, began dating very young. Very talented at classical ballet, rebelled Ew. and gave up a few times, okay. tried modeling, dropped out of school early, mm-hmm. year nine, began new dance school, strikingly attractive, dancer's body. Like, these are her observations about Rachel that she's, like, writing down. She has a dancer's body, very clear pale skin, hypnotic green eyes, dyed hair, lots of different colors. In these journals, she created a new persona for herself by the name Gem Napoleon Napoleon Bonaparte. <laughs> no, she went by the name Gem Sorry. Southall. Southall was Rachel's mother's maiden name. Oh my god. They also found notes detailing a plan to murder Rachel and how to dispose of her body. She wrote On the way to dance school, say that she can't tell anyone that she's meeting me as I'm not allowed to give the study results to anyone. Oh, because she, sorry, she told Rachel that it was like a psychological study and to like pack her favorite items, like things that were most important to her and bring them. And then she was going to like do this. This is so sad because Rachel clearly trusted her. Yeah. And she'd like plotted this all out. 
Yeah, because she was like, oh, oh I know God. this person. She's like, she's babysat for me. She's been a friend of the family, basically. She's looking out. Like, she has a job that she that I can do. It's supposed to be, like, really simple. I just go to her house. She's going to do this, like, this psychological test on me. And then oh I'm going to be God. paid a bunch of money. She told her, don't tell anyone that she's meeting me. I'm not allowed to give the study results to anyone. Oh. Ethics, highly confidential. Not even your boyfriend or parents. Drug Rachel, toxic over mouth, put body in army bags and disfigure and dump somewhere way out. No car. (sighs) No car. Meet in toilet block. No cameras. People come into the city. Maybe to meet friends. Get birth certificate. As we will both get licenses together, then drug her. Hold up. Uh, What's toilet block? So... I'm not sure. I was assuming that maybe that's where she was planning to meet Rachel. Like, maybe, like, the toilet area, like, at the tram station. Maybe, like, meet where the mm -hmm. toilets are because there aren't cameras. And then Mm -hmm. go on your way. That's what I assumed. Either that or, like, her apartment building has a toilet area that have no cameras. But I think it's the tram thing. Mm -hmm. On another page, she wrote, Missing people applying for things like birth certificates. Is there a list that is checked against? Where do rights of the missing person come into place six years? Private detectives. was she going to murder her and then assume her identity? That's what's assumed. But she, okay, she's like 19 or 20. She's 20. And Rachel is 15. Okay. No. Well, obviously she's not a thinker. She also put... And just because you have this person's birth certificate and go by her name doesn't mean you're going to magically turn into them. Plus, uh, you didn't take into account that she has, like, a family that cares about her and is going to report her missing. Yeah! (laughs) Uh. Yeah, she just lives in this fantasy in her head, just like the guy that you were talking about. So fucking weird. So she said, rent a box so Rachel can't be traced. Rachel, final section of psychology study, needs to pack a small backpack... As you're running away, wallet, money, ID, etc., photo, clothes, teddy bear, ballet shoes. So, like, all her, her how, prized possessions. Like, how do people like this exist? Uh-huh. <sighs> Especially because she had no prior... She's 20. In, she's 20 with no like, priors. Like, what are you doing obsessing about a 15-year-old girl that you want to be? Like, go live your life. You're 20. Like, the world is your oyster. Uh, well, she didn't feel like that. She felt that she was a piece of shit and that but Rachel had it help. all. And that if she could, if she could just get, get rid of Rachel, she could become Rachel. And then Rachel, you're going to go home and like be part of her family. Yeah, part of her perfect family. Just be like, don't you remember that I look like this? I've always looked like this. I always, well, I've always looked five years older than I am. And with, also like, very curly, different. With curly hair, different color eyes, different color hair, different Mm -hmm. body stature. Everything is different. So she put like highly confidential for the study to work properly. You can't tell anybody about this. $100 plus cost of transport. Catch train to city. $2.30 max. Meet her outside Flinders. And she put cameras in parentheses. Order pizza and lace with drowsy powder. After that, go through significance of bag things, then relaxation techniques, then toxic cloth over mouth, use army bag and dump off far, far away, dump bag separately, then I'll drive you home. What? Yeah, so I don't know if she's, like, writing in the journal as if she's, like, 
writing as someone else to herself, maybe like as Jem to Caroline. I'm not sure. Or like she... now she'll be Rachel. So now Rachel will drive her home. Because maybe she'll be dead. And now her what is happening? Yeah. And then she wrote check farm, including bag Tuesday, arrange bank loan, moving van night to disguise hair, thoroughly clean bank house loan? and steam clean carpet. What? <laughs> what? Okay, so I'm going to kind of go back into a little bit more details that they, that this like prison psychologist was able to get from her and then like mm-hmm. the detectives or whatever. So on March 1st, 1999, at 8.36 a.m., Caroline left a voicemail for her supervisor saying that she had not slept well the night before and was not well and would not be coming to work that day. So that's Don't you the wish day that, that, that was, sh- like, a valid excuse where it's like, look, I didn't sleep at all last night. I can't come into work. And your boss is like, chill, I get it. <laughs> I mean, America. I think that's a valid excuse, but, like, I don't think anyone's going to take that as a valid excuse. No. I already said that Caroline had called Rachel the night before her disappearance. Right. Okay. And she told her about the psychological study and blah, blah, She's blah. She's, like, calling, like, a house phone. Yep. Oh, God. Yeah, so that you know, they meet up, they grab some pizza, they go back to Caroline's house. Uh, Caroline apparently had bought a bunch of alcohol in the hopes that Rachel would be into it and want to like drink and kind of get drunk so that you know she would It'd be, be easier a, to a little murder bit, her. Right. But yeah. Rachel was not interested in the alcohol. She was just like, No, she's uh, like a fifteen-year-old who's like yeah, dancing I'm and not... living her life. Right. So they just they ate the pizza. And then Caroline was like, okay, let's get started in the psychological study. She had Rachel sit and close her eyes and do like this meditation exercise where she was supposed to think of happy and pleasant thoughts and, mm. you know, do some like deep breathing and stuff. So the, the prison psychologist said that there's a poignant and disturbing moment in which Rachel Barber's fate seemed to waver in the balance. Caroline mm. told me that she had been in a daze Then, just for a moment, the veil lifted, and I didn't want to do it. But something said that I was in so much trouble now, I had to. And it was as though the veil had dropped again. No. No. So Caroline grabbed... She hadn't even done anything at that point, basically. It's like, just let her go home, then. Just let Uh her go home. Oh. Caroline grabbed a phone cord and wrapped it around Rachel's neck, and strangled her this is ugh, you just like don't know anybody ever no nope. don't know anybody and then it's just like all happenstance it's like what are the chances that they uh-huh. would live across the street from each other right and then she would have these sick fantasies in her head of like becoming rachel because she's at like, such a young person. age yeah so the next day on march 2nd caroline went to work her co-workers observed that she was pale and notably quiet. And then around 10 a.m., she said she was feeling sick and her supervisor drove her home. The same day, she called her dad at work twice. And sometime after work, David, her dad, went to her flat to check in on her. He found her there and she was like on her own and seemed okay. The only thing that he noticed that was a little strange was that her bedroom door was closed. But, you know... It's like, if you're not suspecting anything, why would, you know, it's not like 
Like, that was the only thing that really stood out, but it's like, okay, she closed her door, whatever. Yeah. Around 4 a.m. on or about March 2nd, so, like, the mm-hmm. night that she was murdered, um, one of the neighbors who lived in the flat below, I believe, Caroline's place, said that she was awakened by loud sounds of crying and sobbing and sounds of someone having a tantrum. There's no definitive evidence that it was the murder taking place that the neighbor heard, but it could have been. She could have heard the murder taking place, or it could have been Caroline having some kind of outburst after she killed Right. Rachel. Oh, I just remember that she has epilepsy, so I guess if she didn't sleep well the night before, there would be a risk of her having a seizure, so her boss is probably like, yeah, don't come Oh, yeah, work. I didn't think about that, but yeah. yeah. So for two days... Caroline kept Rachel in her wardrobe. <gasps> no. During wait. this time. Sh- what? Wait. When the dad came and the door was closed, Rachel was there. Yep. In her wardrobe. No. Yeah. So during this time, she called a co-worker asking to be repaid on a $320 loan she had given her earlier that year. Wow. She was like, I, I need the money. She told her coworker that she needed the money because she wanted she was going to move some furniture that she had to one of her father's properties, but she like needed the cash now because she had already arranged for the movers to come the right. next morning. Okay. And they and she yeah, she was out cash and she needed money. But the coworker couldn't get the money that night, but Ended up going to Caroline's house the next morning before oh God. before 9 a.m. when the supposed movers were coming. This is like, with, like what you said when it, when the guy had like the party over and the people and yeah. she's having like all these people over with someone's body in her house. It's like <sighs> you're just getting everyone involved now. Like what the fuck? Well, I don't know if this per- the coworker actually went into Caroline's house. I think they met outside and she gave her a hundred a hundred bucks because that's all she had in cash. But then mm-hmm. the two of them drove to an ATM and the coworker took out a hundred more dollars and that was all that the coworker had. So she was like, sorry, like I'll pay you back the rest when I have it, you but this is all give I have her right now. dollars on like no notice. Yeah. So she gave her the 200 and she left and then Caroline called blue circle taxi trucks at 1 27 PM. And it's not exactly clear if it was this day or the next day that she so scheduled she, a pickup she doesn't have a car i'm guessing she She's doesn't getting have rides. a car she probably i mean i don't i mean she may not be able to get a license because of epilepsy could be dangerous hmm. but i'm not sure if that could be the reason because it did it does say later on that she did not have a driver's license so i mean there could be like lots she, of reasons but i'm just wondering if it's like a safety it could be issue and so when she was like writing that note in her notebook where she's like, and then I'll drive you home, maybe she thought on some level, like once she became Rachel, she wouldn't have epilepsy anymore. And then she could like drive. So yeah, she calls this taxi trucks service. So I'm assuming they're taxis that are trucks. I guess. <laughs> she called in sick that morning to work again. Right. She put put Rachel's bot wrapped Rachel's body up in some rugs and shoved her body into an army style duffel bag. I also want to say this like when you're young and living on your own when I was like young and living on my own I never like thought to buy rugs 
she like has rugs. It's like wow. Well, well, I mean, this is her dad's apartment, so maybe he had it furnished or something, or maybe yeah, maybe you know. Right. But yeah, rugs. It's like that's a splurge. Yeah, who's got money for rugs? <laughs> rugs are expensive. They are. They're so expensive. <laughs> I think I had anyway, one rug that. at one point in my when I was like living somewhere. I had like a rug, and that was like a big deal. Yeah. After that rug rant, the truck arrived, and she put the duffel bag in the back. Rachel's really small. She was like very petite and small. Yeah, so I'm a assuming. Little ballerina. I'm guessing she's tiny. Yeah. And she told the driver that the duffel bag contained a sculpture or like a statue that she was taking to her dad's house. And so he was like, all right, whatever. I just feel like he wouldn't care what you're No, no, taking. you order a truck taxi. Yeah. Obviously, you've got things to haul. Like, yeah. who cares? Okay. Probably seen weirder than like a statue yeah. being delivered. Right. So then the next day on March 4th, she worked a full day at work. She even mentioned to her supervisor that a friend of hers had gone missing and that Ew. but that she wasn't she wasn't too concerned since she had done something like this before. She was like Ew. known to run away. On March that. yeah, on March 7th there is a record of Caroline calling the barber house. But like obviously the parents are you know out searching for their daughter, so they had family and friends kind of staying there picking up yeah. the phone. So, like, a family member answered the phone and just wrote her name and number down on a list of other family and friends that had called. But there's, like, record that she called that night or, like, on the 7th. I hate it. check in. hate it. See what information they had. Mm-hmm. On March 10th, the same coworker who had owed Caroline money called Caroline as she had not gone to work that day to tell her that mm-hmm. police had come to her work looking to talk to Caroline. And then she told the coworker, oh don't worry about it like i knew the victim a while ago i used to babysit for her so they probably just want to talk to me about like her character or whatever mm-hmm. and you know the this girl is she's a runaway she always runs away so it's like oh not unco- not uncommon so she, they probably just want information and that same day she went to a bank and applied for a personal loan of ten thousand dollars Like, on what grounds? (laughs) She said that she wanted to buy a car with the loan, and she called the branch three times the following day to ask about the status of her application. Okay, needy, and how are you going to get a car loan when you can't even drive? So, okay, so she was, like, arrested on March 12th, right? On March 16th. So, wait, what's her plan? Like, murder a girl, buy a car, get the hell out of town? Well... I don't. I don't think she was actually planning on buying a car. She just wanted money to get out of town. Okay. Um, so, but like you know, she's arrested on March twelfth. On March sixteenth, right. the bank left her a message that her application had been declined. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and like I said before, Caroline didn't have a driver's license, so detectives surmised that she was going to use the money to disappear. Oh, okay. The prison psychologist gave information that he was able to get out of Caroline about her home life. She details a home life that is characterized by conflict between her parents, frequent criticism and denigration of herself and emotional and perhaps physical abuse from both parents. Mm. Her mother preferred her older sister, which I thought that she was the oldest, but so I don't know. Maybe it was like the oldest of the youngest, whatever. The mom 
preferred her older sister and suffered from significant mood disorder, especially at the time of her birth. Her father had been a more constant person in her life, but he didn't live with her. So she like constantly wrote him letters. But then she also said that she had experienced him as a constantly angry or controlling uh, and authoritarian. She thus had a lifelong history of poor relationships with both her parents. Physically, she was obese for much of her life. From primary school, she was largely marginalized with few close friends and frequently teased and bullied. Her writings support the notion that she developed a very poor self-image, and at times those writings refer to her self-loathing of herself and her situation. They support her description of feeling unhappy and miserable all her life. Her her writing, either in diary form or letters to her father, vividly and pathetically documents her depressed emotional state, her self-hate, her anger and abhorrence of her appearance, and the sense of unfairness which permeated her life. Basically, others others seem to have good lives, but Caroline's was shit. Sounds like she's got a touch of the borderline yeah or some kind uh, of like mood personality disorders happening yeah some kind of personality disorder she once painted and hung a portrait of herself up which was just completely black and she said that ah, it was a self-portrait a self-portrait mm, that's telling <laughs> yeah. shit you see that, and then you're immediately like, set her up with a counselor. Ooh. She's going to yeah. therapy. <laughs> she needs help. Shit. Yeah, really. she's crying out for help. Uh-huh. It's pretty clear. In one of her journals, accompanied by a self portrait that she drew, pointing out her imperfections, calling herself Spotty Dotty because of her acne, Aww. she wrote God made the seas, God made the lakes, God made me. Well, we all make mistakes. Oh, my God. And she also That's wrote sad. that life is torture in the purest form. Oh, this is all the, really depressing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the psychologist said that Caroline sees herself as a bad kid, the troublemaker, the person who failed everyone's expectations. In mm-hmm. reply, in reply to she did bad things, she said, they expected me to be bad. So I was. I stole things from everyone and didn't really know why I did it. I would be so upset and angry. I feel bad about it now. I could never do anything right, and even today I still can't. David Reed and Anne Ritson, her parents, confirmed this behavior and that Caroline and Caroline was described as being manipulative and a person who could be frightening by her parents. Oh. The trial judge said, What is apparent in the material before the court in relation to your planning is the total absence of any suggestion or impression that you ever gave thought to the individuality or the humanity of your victim, Mm -hmm. or any sense of the significance of taking a life. You appear to have been totally self-absorbed, concerned only with your own life situation, feelings, and desires. In consequence, you took the life of a young person who, despite your researches, you almost certainly never really knew or understood. The simple reality is that, contrary to your distorted perception, there are no perfect lives or perfect people, for that matter, but each of us, 
whatever our situation or status, is unique and irreplaceable, and in our society, the life of each is inviolate, in, inviolate, is that a word? Mom's probably going to be yelling it at the... <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> inviolate, and none can be unlawfully taken. That is, that is both a profoundly important moral principle and a proposition of law based, in part, on sheer necessity, if we are living together in a decent and civilized community very astute i thought yeah i thought that was really well said he also said at one level it is possible to feel a considerable measure of sympathy and sadness for you as a young person whose level of self-esteem is so low yeah and whose deep-seated and long-standing sense of self-hatred and envy of others is so intense that she was prepared to kill in order to achieve an unreasonable and unreal dream yeah. Or, sorry, unrealizable and unreal dream. But the yeah. incontrovertible <laughs> and irrevocable irre- fact is that you have killed, and in doing so, have created more than one victim. From all the material, in my opinion, is that you suffer from a deeply entrenched personality disorder mm-hmm. which contributed to your conduct, and that at this stage, at least you represent a real danger to any who may become the unfortunate subject of your fixation. In consequence, it is also necessary to have regard to the protection of the public as a significant sentencing consideration in your case. Yeah. Ultimately, I have arrived at the view that a sentence of imprisonment for a period of 20 years should be imposed. I fix a non-parole period of 14 years and 6 months... I declare that the period of 627 days that you have undergone as pre-sentence detention be reckoned as having been served under the sentence hereby imposed. So how weird is that? Your case was basically 15 like years 15 in jail. 15 years. Yeah. Yep. yep. Yeah. For murder. For, for fucking murder. murder of a young, innocent woman. Well, girl. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For someone with like a severe personality disorder. Right. That, like, seemed fine. Like, nobody suspected that she would do anything. She had no priors. Mm-hmm. And then she just murdered someone. Rachel's parents fought long and hard to keep Caroline behind bars. Yeah. But in 2015, Caroline was freed from prison. What? She had lost a lot of weight and was straightening her hair now. And uh-huh. uh, Rachel's mom kind of... Took, like said that she didn't recognize her anymore because she looked so different and that she Car- even slightly resembled Rachel. Rachel's mom said this or Caroline's mom said this? Rachel's mom. Ew. Oh. Yeah. The Barbers said that they obviously didn't want anything to do with Caroline, but, yeah. that, they had, but that they had forgiven her and that they didn't oh. wish any bad upon her. And oh. that they hoped that her and her family don't get harassed. Yeah. Rachel's grandmother said about Caroline that she hoped Caroline would put something back into the community. They, the family hoped that Caroline would just live a quiet life and not cause any trouble upon release. And upon release, Caroline would be heavily monitored for a couple years. Okay. Um, and Caroline apparently found Buddhism while in prison and had reinvented herself. Okay. And she's out right now to this day. 
don't know what she's doing, but she's out and about after having strangled a child. How do you feel about that? uh, (laughs) Pretty speechless. That that was awful. Yeah. I just like, what the fuck happened there? Uh, I, I don't know. Like some kind of severe personality disorder mixed yeah, with serious like, personality disorder. I don't know but it was like out of nowhere and well not though because she was like planning it for fucking ever well from everyone else's perspective it was out of nowhere like you know she she never right. like did anything that made anyone think that she was dangerous she was just, just like so a little weird quirky. how people get so fixated on like things or people or oh it's so strange. On the one hand, she herself was so young that she yeah. clearly wasn't thinking. She wasn't thinking. She wasn't thinking about any of it, about the consequences, about how Rachel's family would deal with it, about taking the life of a young, innocent girl who's not even had a chance to like live. She didn't think. Right. But on the other hand, it's like, how dare you murder someone? That yeah. thinks that you're a friend and it trusts you. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, I think, like, the plan was to get the birth certificate and the money and then skip town and then start her life over as Rachel and but it's take all like of Rachel's... Where it's like, <laughs> that's not going to change who you are. Like, just because you run away from your problems doesn't mean you're not going to still feel, like, worthless. Like, that is going to come with you. Of course, but you don't think that. You think, oh, if I just had it, if I was just this person, everything would be great. Even though she didn't even really know Rachel and didn't really know Rachel's struggles and how she was having a hard time in school. And that's why she decided to do the dance thing. And, like, she'd actually, like, at one point given up dance because she had this horrible teacher that, like, made her feel Mm -hmm. like shit. So she thought that, you know... Maybe well, I'm not going to dance like anymore. Ballet, that whole world is full of criticism and yeah. just like unhealthy beliefs and practices. And, you know, like that's a dangerous world to be part of. But then like the, the judge. Yeah, the judge basically saying that where it's like you knew nothing of this person's struggles. Mm-hmm. It's like we all have challenges and we all have struggles. And, yeah, we don't present that to the outside world, especially now where we have like social media and everyone's presenting like they're living the best life ever when it's like, exactly. no, everyone has shit that they're going through constantly. Like we all have issues, even the people right. who make it seem like they're living the perfect life and everything's good and they're all happy like they're not like we're all we all have things we're going through we all have times when we're happy we all have like a lot of times when it's hard and you never know what that other person's going through exactly and how dare you take their life away from them because you think their life seems better you don't Mm -hmm. know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it's like some some kind of delusion where she could just take on all of these attributes that she thought that Rachel had that like were so amazing that if Rachel was just gone she could have them magically or something like I don't understand the thought process behind that well I don't think that there was like a thought I mean it sounds like she was like obsessive and delusional yeah she had some serious shit going on god that was awful (laughs) yeah (laughs) the toss salad and the scrambled egg. That was so sad. I mean, I think, like, she, since she had that moment of clarity, it does feel like she's a tossed salad because she could have stopped at any time and she knew it. 
But then she was just like, oh, well, I've gone too far. Exactly. Like, I think it's one of those things where it's like get carried away. And if you're constantly every day telling yourself you're a piece of shit and you're ugly and you're like worthless. And the only yeah. thing that would, you know, the only way you could become any worth is if you're anything like Rachel and you just like delude yourself into thinking that these are real actual things that are facts instead of just your made up delusions. Right. I could see where it would be easy to just get stuck in that mindset and then believe your delusions and fantasies because she didn't really have any friends and she like, you know, so she's just constantly like sitting in her own delusions and writing and journaling and drawing pictures of how ugly she is and all this stuff. And it's like, I don't know, like you, you know, I'll post a picture of her or whatever, but it was like, she just looked like a regular you know 19 20 year old girl like yeah she didn't look she wasn't like hideous or ugly or anything she just looked like a normal person but like in her mind she was this disgusting monster well it's easy to believe like we all tell ourselves horrible things we would never say to anyone else and then it's easy to like get in that loop and start believing them where it's like the more you tell yourself something the more you believe it so try and like catch those thought patterns before they spiral out and like stop them as best you can because it doesn't go anywhere good in her case, too, if what she's saying is true, that her parents kind of bullied her a bit and that her yeah. quote unquote friends that she had were not very good friends. They made fun of her a lot. And right. like she wanted to be a dancer like Rachel. So like she would be like, you know, oh, I'm going to be a dancer. And they'd be like, OK, show us some dance moves. And she would like show yeah. them a dance thing. And then they would just like laugh at her. And yeah. so that's just like e- even further reinforcing that like, oh, shit, I am a piece of shit. Like nobody likes me. My friends even make fun of me, even right. though they're not really your friends if they're doing right. that. But it's so hard when you're young and your world is mm-hmm. so small that you think that that's just like normal or that's how everyone is before yeah. you can like actually meet people that you do resonate with that right. aren't like that. Right. Especially if you're like a little bit different from like the norm or whatever. Mm-hmm. I was lucky that I found other weirdos to hang out with that like we just Seriously. reinforced each other and like held each other up because kids are mean. Kids are super mean. Uh, that's just so sad. I know. It's horrible. So, ugh. Ugh. Assholes. Assholes. It's super weird that we both picked cases Very where people similar. were, like, trying to, like, be other people. <laughs> yeah, very and similar. And kill innocent women who their only thing was that they were just, they happened to be involved in their lives. And that these so people. Then they were, like, jealous of them. Yeah. Yep. So crazy. And now for the portion that we like to call Crime and Six, where we tell you silly stories about crime that make you forget the terrible things we just told you. Okay. Okay. So this one is from Business Insider, and it says... A member of the European Parliament representing Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban's Fidesz party has resigned from his position in Brussels after he was caught leaving what reports describe as a 25-man orgy on Friday. (laughs) Joseph... Sazer resigned on Sunday. These fucking bigots are always caught in After he admitted to breaching Belgium's strict lockdown rules to attend a sex party, 
The police <laughs> found 25 naked men at the gathering, including Sezer and some di- diplomats. The newspaper quoted local police sources as saying, we interrupted a gangbang, which I don't think that's <laughs> accurate, but I don't know. Uh Orban's Hungarian government has curtailed LGBTQ rights since he was elected prime minister in 2010. Sajer, who fronted Fidesz in the European Parliament, helped rewrite Hungarian's constitution to protect the institution of marriage as the union of a man and a woman. He is a right-wing politician and ally of Orban, climbed out of a first-floor window and was spotted fleeing along the gutter... The public prosecutor's office said a source close to the investigation told Political that officers were called after a complaint about a nighttime disturbance. Authorities said narcotics were found in Sajer's bag. He insisted that he had not taken drugs. Uh, a passerby reported to the police that he had seen a man fleeing along the gutter. He was able to identify the man. The man's hands were bloody. It is possible that he may have been injured while fleeing. Uh, he was unable to produce any identity documents. He was escorted to his place of residence where he identified himself. And he said he was present at a private party and apologized after the police asked for my identity since I did not have ID on me. I declared I was a MEP. The police continued to process the and finally issued an official verbal warning and transported me home. I deeply regret violating the COVID restrictions. It was irresponsible on my part. I am ready to stand for the fine that occurs. He announced his resignation and he said, I ask everyone not to extend it to my homeland or to my political community, he added. So, this guy. (laughs) Internalized homophobia and externalized homophobia Uh, is uh fucking disgusting and needs to be stopped. 25 it's not like he was in a relationship with a man he's like part of a 25 man orgy and he's like telling Mm -hmm. people that they can't be in relationships with other people of the same sex like they can't marry someone that they've been in a a long-term relationship with piece of shit oh my god i know he flew out fleed out the window (laughs) the fuck like obviously you knew you were doing something wrong if you're fleeing along the gutters well the covid (laughs) thing it's like what the fuck were all you men thinking like you're gonna expose yourselves you're getting very close and personal with other people and that's like a lot of people yeah that's a lot of a lot of heavy breathing happening uh yeah there's like bodily fluids (laughs) flying around gross (laughs) oh god uh i have one from KMBC.com. This is from Topeka, Kansas. The Shawnee County Sheriff's Office said a 17-year-old boy was taken into custody early Saturday morning following an incident at the Petro Deli, which is north of Topeka, Kansas. The Sheriff's Office said that when they responded to the scene around 3.30 a.m. Saturday, they found the teen naked and under the influence. Oh. The sheriff said the teen covered himself in ranch dressing Ew! and damaged <laughs> damaged property inside the deli. After that, the teen ran outside the deli and jumped onto a moving into a running vehicle and crashed into a pillar. The sheriff said deputies look er, took the teen into custody and then to a local hospital where he was released to his parents. 
We are happy to report that no one was injured during the incident, the sheriff said in a post on social media. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) Must have been a crazy trip. Uh, you're like so high you got to cover yourself in ranch dressing yeah gross (laughs) (laughs) okay I have another one from insider.com an unarmed Italian man hiked for a week in attempt to calm himself down after arguing with his wife wow that is a big argument (laughs) (laughs) the 48 year old left Como in the north of Italy and traveled 280 miles south over the wow. period of a week. He walked about 40 miles a day in attempt to soothe his anger. Eventually, oh, the man reached Fano, a beach resort in the on the Adriatic coast. Across Italy, current lockdown regulations mean that a nationwide curfew is in place between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. The police performing a standard search for rule breakers came across the man at roughly 2 a.m. They questioned him and were reportedly shocked to discover that he had covered such a distance. After inputting his details into a database, police confirmed that his wife had reported him missing. Subsequently, they fined him $485 U.S. for breaching the curfew. They put him up in a hotel. Despite traveling such a great distance on foot, the man was not injured. He told the paper, I'm fine. I'm just a little tired. He also revealed (laughs) that during his journey, strangers offered him food and drinks. Wow. See, now that's how you deal with the anger at, like, a partner. You just fucking walk. Could you imagine being the wife? Like, oh, we just got in a fight. I'm upset. He hasn't come home. He still hasn't come home. For a week. Fuck. He went out. He must have been abducted or something. And the whole time he's just, like, muttering to himself, like, walking for a week straight. Oh, my God. 280 miles. Wow. That is a journey. Yeah. That is a journey. It's a good way to deal with your anger, though. Um, Have I read this one before? It's... From edinburghlive.co.uk, it says a 210 uh, euro an hour or pounds. What are they using in England? <laughs> Euros. God damn it. Oh, wait, pounds. England? Pounds. Yeah. Yeah. A pounds. 210 pound an hour Edinburgh doctor who runs a private clinic in the capital has come under fire for suggesting autism may be caused by the MMR jab. I like that they call um, shots jabs. That sounds a lot better, actually. It is a a jab. jab. (laughs) And that organic chicken nuggets could alleviate symptoms. No. uh, No. A Sunday. Organic (laughs) chicken nuggets. First of all, chicken nuggets are just like (laughs) ground up chicken and like breaded and shit. Those are not good for you. Second of all. They fight autism. Organic chicken. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. A, a Sunday Mirror probe recorded Dr. Lorene Emmett claiming that autism is caused by an adverse reaction to children being given the MMR jab. I'm so glad she's a this, doctor. Okay. Mm-hmm, despite this claim being repeatedly debunked by science. Yes. The paper investigated the cli- the clinic after receiving a number of complaints from concerned parents about the work of a Met's clinic that sells an autism treatment package, which claims to have improved the development of 80% of its, of its patients 
Emma Dalmain, a mom what is who the has package? two lot- chicken nuggets. Like some organic dino nuggets. They're like, here, take this home, heat it up in the oven, 350 for 15 minutes, flip them over, cured. Basically. She's like, you can go pick up her prescription down below (laughs) at our pharmacy. Our pharmacy offers only chicken nuggets. You can pick your shape and amount. Our, our building is uh, just happens to be attached to the McDonald's. Uh, we don't get paid for advertising, but um, we do recommend their chicken nuggets. More like attached to our own personally owned chicken farm. <laughs> where we have like an excess of chicken we didn't know what to do with. So now we're just like forming it into nuggets and selling it as medicine. In the shape of jabs. Ugh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jabs. Cute. Cute. All right. Thanks for tuning in this week. And Sorry, remember it was to... a bummer. <laughs> it's always a bummer. Always uh, remember to check out Humblebee Herbal to get your gifts for the holidays. Send someone something nice. And treat yourself. Like, make yourself feel better. The holidays are going to be kind of shitty this year. So you might as well make yourself feel yeah. better. We've got a lot of wonderful products, all types of bath and body products from your head to your toes that will be amazing. All natural. No organic chicken nuggets, though. No. Mm-mm. Nope. <laughs> but they smell great. Yeah. And uh, they will be, they can be shipped directly to your home if you are in the uh, United States. Support so, the USPS uh, if you're here in the US. Stay safe and sane and... Happy holidays. Happy holidays. We'll be here next week to help everyone listen to more fucked Feel up more shit depressed. to get through the uh, depressing times of the year. Get ready to get even more depressed. Well, uh, then, you know, we can all be depressed together. Yeah. Together apart. Together apart. Yeah. Social yeah. distancing together. Please. Let's get and over this thing. Let's move through it. Everyone stay home. You do not need to be going out shopping. Can buy basically anything you want online these days. Just avoid Amazon and big corporations, please. And they already have so much money. Stop giving them more. Don't forget to journal your life away and burn the pages. <laughs> okay, tune in okay. next week, and we will speak at you then. Good goodbye. Bye. She's like, look at these, and pulls out these giant floppy disks. She, like, gets in real deep and goes... Ew. Organic chicken nuggets could alleviate symptoms. Well, not everyone's got feet. Some people have feet. Uh, Hold up. Uh, What's toilet block? What's toilet block?